0: Lifeway Lifeway. Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I am your host, Chandler Hanoi, here with Todd (laughs) Atkins. And we do that very often. You do not. That's why I wanted to intro this so you could have that moment again. Okay. All right. We are joined by Ken Costa, who is joining us from London. And if you do not know Ken, he's a London-based, internationally renowned banker, author, and speaker. And his latest book that I don't believe is out just yet, but it is releasing soon, is Joseph of Arimathea. So Ken, welcome to the podcast. Hope you're enjoying Lockdown London. How are you doing today? Chandler, I am doing very well, thank you. Hello from London. Um, we
1: are in this weird world. I mean, London is normally a bustling place. It's, uh, it's a city that, uh, that is moving all the time, and it's, it's, it's just eerie uh, to be locked down. We're allowed out of our homes for once a day. And I I just can't wait to get rid of my running shoes and my slippers and to put on my work shoes and a tie and a suit um, and and hug somebody. But uh, until then, um, I'm locked down here with my wife, which is wonderful. Um, I'm learning all new skills. Um, Crisis management for me includes having to clean the house, which is a new skill. Um, But you know what? You can listen to a podcast uh while you're doing it so yeah we're surviving um
2: but it's not much fun i long to be an introvert um but uh, i'm not wired that way hey so what's really interesting for our listeners uh if you did not catch the first episode with ken which was go in your way way back machine to find it at this point because i don't think (laughs) apple goes back that far um But the day that we recorded the last podcast, I feel like I'm the Reaper or something because it was uh, it was the day of Brexit. And I mean, hours um, after, you know, that news had had kind of hit. And um, for our listeners, please go back and listen to that. I mean, uh, Ken was um, uh, the I can't remember what what position you had at UBS, but I, I know that you were the chairman of Lazard. And my um, my father in law uh, worked for Capgemini, Ernst and Young, um, uh, North America. Yeah. He, he, he was high up in the organization, and so I, I think when he heard that episode, um, we had a conversation about it. So <laughs> well, let, let me tell you something:
1: we long for Brexit. Oh, wouldn't we love to have Brexit back again? Compared to what we've got now. It was an absolute walk in the park. So I mean, it's just been like the reaper, as you say. I mean, we've had one whole year, two, three, four years of Brexit, and we thought we would just coming through this, and life was going to get back uh, to normal, only to be smacked over the head by, by this virus, um, or if you're president, you'll put the name of the country from which you think it came. But um, <laughs> it's, um, it's a tough one nonetheless. For sure. Well, and
2: that's, you have a very interesting background, which I think is really important for people to understand because there's, uh, there's a Lebanese connection. There's a South African connection. Of course, there's uh, a, both London and European connection and as well as, you know, degrees in law and theology. And obviously you just broke out some psychology on us. <laughs> so it's going to be a fun ride. And you like to have a good time. Only if you say so. Um, <laughs> I'm having a good time now. But what the,
1: what your listeners can't see is that I can see you on the video and you're waving a ruler at me as if I'm in the school, in the classroom. I'm getting a bit worried as to whether I'm saying anything that I shouldn't be saying. Oh my gosh, it's the longest ruler you've ever seen in your life. It's Again,
2: I'll measure up. <laughs> it's a yardstick and it's a really thick yardstick as well. So, and behind me is, uh, is in my guest room and I now have wall to wall whiteboard. Thanks to uh, thanks to uh, Lowe's and Lowe's is a, a home um, home improvement for here. And it's considered an essential business. And I can tell you whiteboards are essential for my sanity <laughs> So much so that my wife has let me take over our guest room, and I pretty much this is love
1: stick to the stick to the whiteboard um, better than the white kids, and the other thing you <laughs> do
2: strap yourself into. <laughs> All right, Chandler, please, please save us from ourselves. Continue.
0: Yeah. So today we're going to be talking about crisis leadership with Ken. And just as you heard, you know, last time he was on uh, the podcast, we were talking about Brexit, and there's a lot of different crises that can happen throughout our lives. So the first question we just want to ask is how does this coronavirus crisis compare to others in the past? Well, it's off the Richter scale in terrifying.
1: Um, I've been through a number of crises, I've been through stock exchange crises, I've been through um, uh, the great financial crisis in 08 um, and you know, seen sort of various crises throughout the world. The, the difference with this is, firstly, it's global, there isn't a safe place where you, where you haven't been reached. Secondly, it's, it hits my health, my, and not only my health, but the statistics of dying. Every day, uh, you turn on the media, and it's like you watching, you know, the, the Wall Street um, indices, where the Nasdaq is up or the, the FTSE is up. You see the number of people that have died, and the number of cases that have turned up. And it's a kind of it's the weirdness of it that reinforces this terrifying this feeling of um, uh, you know of, of near despair that people are feeling because it's it's not only financial that is hitting us. Uh, and it hasn't begun to hit us because most people are anesthetized to the enormous amount of debt that every single government in the world has taken on in order to to get us through this crisis. So uh, there is your health. There is the financial crisis, and behind it all are these big, unex, you know, unexplored, uh, unexplored um, environmental issues. You had all the floods. Australia had the the wildfires just before we came into this. It's still in the sort of folk memory. So it's um it's unlike anything we've seen before. Um, and because it affects absolutely everybody.
0: That is true. I mean, even you know, Todd and I are in Nashville, Tennessee, and in the beginning of March, even right before really the COVID-19 virus hit America and especially Tennessee we had a tornado sweep through middle Tennessee and it destroyed homes and took lives and, you know, for that to happen and then come onto this. And just as you mentioned, there was a lot of things globally happening as well, that there was already hurt and pain going on in the world. And then this topping on top of that
1: is, sure. I mean, yeah,
0: it really sure. is tough. I mean, the way I describe it is that
1: the world is VUCA, um, which is not, which is an invented word, which is it's volatile. Just look at the financial markets. It's uncertain. It's you know who knows where this pandemic is going to go. It's complex, yeah, um, because you know you, the decisions are difficult to make. Nobody, nobody knows how to make a decision in in a world of maximum uncertainty uh, where you, you you will not have the facts. This is a, a fact of life, and of course, it's anxious. Um, very anxious, anxiety is hitting all of us, even those on the outside who appear to be the most stable feel the sort of something in the crop of the stomach in the morning can 't sleep at night, finding difficulty, mental health issues are growing um, so it 's within this vuca world that of course we have uh, a wonderful uh, a wonderful story to tell, which is the story of hope.
2: Hmm. Talk about that a little bit, Ken, because one of the things that um, I've appreciated about you and, and your books, you've you've written several. Uh, know Your Why is one. Um, that was, I think, the most recent until so you have a new one now, which is it's falling along similar lines in that um, what you're really trying to do is help people live an ordinary life that is Turn that is just set on fire uh, for God, and it may not be a, um, it, you know, it's not what we think of when we, we when I say set on fire that you're you know bold and flaming everywhere you go. It is a set smolder, uh, set fire that is just continuous, and it, it really is that idea that people, you know, a lot of pastors um, would say, hey, people are vessels to be filled rather than torches to be lit. They wouldn't say that, but that's what we actually do. And we gather people together in our churches on Sunday, which we haven't been able to do now. And now they are sent out and either they're sent out as, as vessels that are draining or they're sent out as torches to be lit. And, and so as pastors um, listen to me here, hearing me talk about this, I want you as a, a person who has been a leader in the business world for a long, long time. Uh, talk about that a little bit. How how people live out their faith in their work, um, in in their ordinary lives. Well, there, there are many there are many aspects of this question
1: because there's nothing ordinary about the, where we are at the moment, um, and therefore. The you know for the first time the airways have been cleared. Uh, There are no football matches. There is no there are no gigs. There are no gatherings together. Uh, There is an opportunity for the moment for people to stop uh, and to reflect. If you ask me, you know what is happening at the moment in the world in this crisis? It is it is God's almost saying stop, just stop, and 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 rewind. And uh, take a step back, and it's into that moment that one has to ask some ordinary questions, like, "Why am I here?" <laughs> Knowing your why, or uh, being able to know that we we we've to find and to fulfil the calling in life is what the is the heritage of of a Christian, and that's a day-to-day experience. But we're experiencing it at the moment under very difficult conditions, but the very best we've had. Uh, for a generation. Because everyone is asking the same questions. What is the meaning of life? Why do I do what I'm doing? Or, or what has happened in the last year, in my life, last five years of my life, that I'm, I'm struggling to come to terms with right now? So this whole nature of what is ordinary has never been able to be examined in the stripped-down way in which we've been forced to examine it now. And that, in my view, is one of the great works of the Spirit of God in our age. Um, And we we mustn't miss this opportunity. It is so important uh, for everyone to recognize that it's a new honesty that is gonna touch you and touch me about our finances, about our families, about our friends, about our future, about the people we haven't forgiven. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're in lockdown, you're living with somebody, you've got to learn about forgiveness. Um, And um, that's a good lesson.
2: So, so um, talk about how. So, I believe that a lot of us think that pastors kind of had the market cornered on calling. Um, talk about the the I don't know personal calling sure. that people have, and then Chandler, I promise I'll actually let you get into. Um, hey, into we, got one,
0: we got one question down. We're
2: good.
1: Well, um, you know want- those that corner markets usually find that the markets dump them. Um, that's the financial experience. And so I did not believe that pastors have cornered the market. And actually, I don't know that they, they believe that they have either. It's so a very few now who, who, reckon, who don't understand that the calling is wherever God finds you and me, He calls us to that place. My workstation is my worship station. Where I work is where I'm worshiping Him. There's no distinction between a banker and a bishop. Uh, we, are, we are all called, we're called together um, to fulfill that which God has given to us. So I think that, that that mindset is now changing to such an extent that people are beginning to realize just how important the church as a whole is and that every member plays a part in the church uh, so that at the moment people are you know, taking meds to those who can't move, taking for hot meals to those who can't eat, checking up on the telephone, speaking to people. Uh, the, the church has never been as as a body, as, as drawn together as it is now. And so it's changing the model. The huge mistake so many people are making at the moment is to say, oh, what does the new normal look like? There ain't gonna be no new normal because that which came before wasn't normal. We thought it was. But all it was was a massive ego trip for masses of people. And even ourselves, you know, we got ahead of ourselves. It was so good. Life appeared to be, you know, going in one way. And, and yet we have to stop and say to ourselves, no, there wasn't a normal. That was an aberration. And we're stripped back now to be able to say, I want to do what God has called me to do. Um, and I can hear from him. I know my why. I don't have to go finding it. It's the heritage of, of the faith, that we can know why we have been called. The sheep know the voice of the shepherd. Uh, they, don't, uh, they don't need to go and find some, some new language. Uh, they can hear, they can understand. So I think this is a unique time uh, for, for us to, 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 to strengthen ourselves um, in our faith and be strengthened by the Spirit of God in our day-to-day activities.
0: I like how you put that. It really is. There is no new normal that we're going to go back to the normal before, because I mean, this, this COVID season is really stripping away a lot of the false comfort that we had. And especially, I mean, especially for pastors right now, I think a lot of times it's it's one, one light that it's shining on is that church truly is more than just Sunday. And now churches are trying to figure out what does it look like to minister throughout the week? not just on a Sunday morning with a service. And as you said, the whole body's coming together to get through this. And, you know, we're going to talk about what it looks like for, for church leaders and pastors to lead others. But what I really want to focus on right now is let's talk about personal leadership. I mean, everybody, people are having more time on their hands, a lot of time to spend with the Lord. How, how should leaders be using this time to grow personally as a leader and in their relationship with Christ?
1: That's a great question, Chandra. And I think the, the, the short thing I want to say, so I was reading this morning Psalm 46, which says this, so we will never fear even if every structure of support were to crumble away. And this is a great, great thing. So we stand before him saying, "I don't. I'm not going to fear even if every structure of support crumbles away. And that, of course, is what has happened is that there has been a crumbling away of the structures of support around us. At that moment, I think most people feel a bit guilty. And the first thing to say is this is the moment to be self-investing. You really have to invest in yourself. Now, you may say, is that selfish? No, it's not. Um, Why? Because you've got to love your neighbor as yourself. You don't know how to love yourself. You can't love your neighbor. And this is the moment where it is that one has to self-invest. How do you do that? Well, firstly, um, I would say that, being a financier, i say just check your finances. Um, Don't forget that your credit card is theology in numbers. Your credit card, or your PayPal, or whatever you, you have, is going to tell you what your theology is. It tells you where you put your money, is where you believe in. Is this coordinate? Is it consistent with the rest of my life? Um, and then we come back to spending an additional time, if these are unprecedented times, and I believe they are, then we need to have unprecedented times to pray, to read the Bible, to meditate, to listen to the worship, and to write in our journals the basic thoughts that are, that are with us as we try to get to know, who am I? Um, you know, you've got to find your who. Uh, like know your why, but to know your who. Who Who is this person? Uh, and how am I gonna work when my support structures of finance and the work and, and family and job and security is not there?
2: It's a well-known fact that planting churches and campuses is the most effective way of reaching the lost. And launching in a rented venue like a school or a theater is one of the most cost-effective ways to launch a new church. So if you're planning to launch a church or a campus and trying to figure out how to do that really well in a rented space, we encourage you to check out our friends at Portable Church. The team at Portable Church Industries takes your vision and creates engaging environments around it to keep volunteer retention high and allow more energy to be spent on ministry. So go to portablechurch.com slash Lifeway to learn more and to find free, customized resources that teach you how to launch portable and launch strong. So I love what you were talking about earlier in that, you know, you have all these things that are, are stripped away from your normal day to day, how, and you've talked about the importance of spending uh, extra time, you know, during this time on your personal leadership. So what would be some suggestions that you would have just practically speaking for, for pastors or for normal people uh, to help them get through that and make that possible. I love the distinction,
1: pastors or normal people. Uh, <laughs> shall we, shall, um, I, I think for the, for, the, for the moment, it is, as I said, is to just stop for a moment and not to try and govern the future of your life your family's life, your workplace, your church, um, in in, in any way, because you don't know the answer. If you think of that verse in Ecclesiastes 7, which says, you know, keep sowing and planting, because you don't know which seed is going to grow, whether it's this one or that one or both. And so it's very important to be able to start doing that, step back, and to be able to say, I am going to live in contracting horizons. The, the most difficult thing for anyone at the moment is that the horizons are being expanded in fear constantly. Um, well, what is this world gonna look like? I mean, the Harvard Business Review had a very brilliant article saying that what was happening is that we've been struck by grief, grief looking backwards at the world in which we came from and longed to get back to, and grief looking forward because we know we're not going back there and we have no idea what that world looks like. So this grief has to be dealt with in the day-to-day because it can't be just suppressed. And that, you know, it's not that you can keep going out and running, going to a new office, going to work and all of that into the structures and supports that you have. That's where we have to face ourselves. And that's where we have to live in this contracting horizon, you know, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Is, is, a good, is a good word for, for, for this season.
2: Well, and two, what, it's really difficult because there's a balance between taking this time to be still and then also recognizing what needs to be done. Like, okay, yes, we're grieving and we need to go through the stages of grief, but with the effects on the economy you know, part of what, uh, you, you, I have a whiteboard behind me. Part of what I'm doing is helping pastors walk through contingency planning. I mean, budget contingency and ministry contingency, because churches don't traditionally have contingency budgets. They, they, you know, a, a business will plan for, has a specific plan for both a uh, budget surplus and uh, and a deficit. Um, but churches often don't. And so one of the things I that I'm personally struggling with as well is I can work 24 um, seven. That's just who I am. My personality, if I didn't have a wife and children, I'm not sure how I would end up, but um, how does one balance the incredible opportunity that we have to, you know, serve and minister during this time. And we all want to protect our churches and protect our families and be proactive and this idea of stillness stop
0: <laughs>
1: you just have to you're precisely the, you're describing the problem you 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 you' if you carry on like that all that will happen is you'll take the mindset from a previous structure previous way previous normal and with huge energy which obviously you have taught, um, you will start applying it using the, the tools that you learned in the last season. But the fact of the matter is that we, 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 we can begin to plan, of course, you know, but we have to plan for massive uncertainty, recognizing that we can't make the planning work because we can't entail the result. But it doesn't alter the fact that the individual person has to come to a place of peace in their own lives, and that's a stripping back, because until that happens, the mind is too, it's it's filled with fear, uncertainty, complexity, and threat, all all of that, and and you would pass it by, you'll make a a terrific plan, Um, you know, this is what happens, if this happens, and there are 26 variations, and you'll spend your life fretting between, you know, number 24 and number 18, and, and actually none of them will come to pass. That's why I think this is so unusual. We've never been in a place like this, but I honestly think it is God's way of saying, I want to draw you back to being an integrated person. You know, in Christ Jesus, Paul says in the Colossians, in Christ Jesus, all things hold together. It's not as though everything is just breaking up. Uh, It is that they are being held together, but they're held together in Christ Jesus. Uh, and, of course, he's Lord of all, and we, we, we know all of that. But he also has to start from a secure base in which you're assessing the way to be still and to do your planning. But if you were giving me a choice at this moment and you forced me to choose, then I would say be still and know that I am God. Because that's the piece that was missing. <laughs>
2: That is really true, because when you think about it, you know, in the States, we would say, hey, when you look at Europe, what you're looking at is a people who have learned to be happy without God. Yeah. And that was easy for us to say. And now we're experiencing it.
1: Sure. And it's worse is that it's generational. It's a, a generation is growing up with, uh, you know, no affiliation whatsoever. Um, in in the in a, I'll give you an example. I was chairman of Alpha International, which is a um, Alpha is a course introduction to the Christian faith, which is done by twenty nine million people in the world. When we first started in the U.S., uh, our friends said to us, "Look, it will never work." here because evangelism doesn't work in the United States. Discipleship does, but evangelism doesn't because everybody's a Christian. That's 15 years ago. Now, there's a huge interest in how to present the good news of Jesus Christ to people who have got jobs and families, relationships and stresses and strains and have different views on cultural issues and all the other issues that we have to deal with. How how do do you reach that group of people? Um, And that's why, of course, we we now know that reaching people evangelistically is to reach them in a way that links worship and work together. The world won't understand you at your worship. It looks weird, your hands in the air and you're sort of of babbling away. But (laughs) actually, um, and, and they will understand your work but you've got to come back to Matthew 5 and just say to yourself, that, you know, we do what we do so that people can see what our good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I mean, that is an important linkage together. And that linkage broke. And now it's coming together again, you know, working. I'm so optimistic about the church coming alive after this, a new awakening, working with each other, understanding each other. I have no idea what it looks like. I have no idea whether it's clicks or bricks or both, but I do think there's something new that's coming uh, in, an, in an awakening of an understanding of a very real community that's the only way that the planet will be saved.
0: You know, that, I think a lot of churches and pastors are feeling that right now. And, and I think that's a good word. To, this is a time to be still, to let the Lord do a work in your own life And, and, you know, we have no clue when this thing's going to lift. We don't, there's not a deadline on it. It's indefinite right now, but it does feel like that we're sitting on something that the Lord's going to do a great work through this, during this and after this. So churches, a lot of churches are wrestling with what does our budget look like? Hey, we are, you know, as the economy goes down, our giving goes down and we don't have as much resources currently to do ministry. So with the effects on the economy, What advice would you share with churches, pastors, those wrestling with these decisions to be preparing now financially during this this downward swing for what's next and even just currently? Well, the first thing is don't take the plan from last year
1: and dust it down and ask the people who give, your business people in your church, to give you money for that which you planned last year. That's fatal. Why? Because their businesses have changed, their lives have changed, and they'll look at the past and think, nuts. What world are you living in? <laughs> um, and the great building plans that were there, are they really necessary to this new world and, or to reaching people? Do we need to build people into, into central hubs? Don't get me wrong. I, I mean, I do believe that there is an importance in the coming together but when and how and, and how often and all of that is, is a matter for pastors to negotiate. But don't but just, there's a, there's a wonderful poem that has struck me so much by an Irish poet called um, Michael O'Shale, which says, Don't look for this year's birds in last year's nest. Don't look for this year's birds in last year's nests. And I think that's a really true statement. So, first thing is, show your plans as being plans that face uncertainty, rather than, well, you know, guys, we're going to get through it. It may be October, maybe November. Hey, could you just make sure you cough up? Could you push your standing, your 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 instructions to pay to the bank? Could you just push it up a bit? your giving go up a bit. And it doesn't. Why? Because people don't have confidence. So you have to retain the confidence of the people that you that you're looking after. And that means you need to be able to sort of look at the plans, deal with the, the immediate future that you're dealing with and stop planning for three years or two years. You just don't know. I mean the best you can plan is for three weeks. Um and show that you're evaluating as you go along and bring them with you. Speak widely, draw people in, uh, because there's nothing that, that business people, people who give to churches hate more than being appeared to be a milk cart, just to be sort of the others pulled for the milk to come out. They, they want to know, are you investing in me? Are, are you giving me something that is because I'm a part of your church, I'm a friend, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm part of a fellowship or whatever it is, not just, I want some money from you. And this is a perfect time in which to be able to widen the consultation, draw the people in with you, plan and live in uncertainty together.
2: So do you think there are some leaders that are better at, at peacetime leadership and crisis leadership? And, and what does good leadership look like in crisis? Uh, flexibility.
1: is the key test of a leader in a crisis at the moment. I mean, of course, I can give you everything else you want. You want to be a servant leader, humble leader, everything else that the business schools are teaching in the management studies. But to my way of thinking, what is matters now is flexibility. the the crisis leader has to be flexible to be able to change as the circumstances change, um, because they are changing very rapidly. Um, And and, and that means that you, you have to have the humility to say, well, actually, you know what, we got it wrong, we can't open our church for another three, four months, or we can't go on with the building program as we have. Does that mean we leave it empty? Or half built, maybe, um, but it, but it's not the end of the world. You can revisit them as as clarity comes, so you can move forward um, in in, uh, in in trying to plan uh, uh, plan for the future.
2: So you talked about um, VUCA, and I'm trying to find. I did a whole like whiteboard session on VUCA and two different ones. And, you know, one of the things that, um, that people need to understand when he talked about our new world is volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. Our old world was rational, predictable, simple and linear. And so, you know, the, the skills to lead in one versus the skills to lead the other, what, What responses do we need to have for the people that we lead in these times of, you know, volatility uh, or uncertainty? You know, what can we do to respond to kind of each one of those things? So when the world is volatile, we need to respond with what? With reading
1: the great chapters in the book of Hebrews. Um is learning to, to to determine that you know what can be shaken and what can't be. the the distinguishing feature in all of this is whether it's uncertainty, complexity, whether it's anxiety, whether it's volatility. there is within that a base case of things that cannot be shaken. the the uh, clear understanding, that, you know, Jesus Christ is alive today. He's yesterday in the old regime. He's today in this completely crazy world we're living in. And he is tomorrow. You know, that the same power that saw Jesus raised from the dead is available to you and to me today. It enables, fear is beaten on the cross. Anxiety is overcome by the peace that passes all understanding. Um, complexity. You just reread the Beatitudes for the simplicity that they contain. Um and, and the same volatility. So you, you, you reduce every one of those to the irreducible rock on which we on which we, we stand, that everything that can be shaken will be shaken, except and you've got to say to yourself, what is the except in my particular life today that I that I that I will hold on to? Come hell or high water, as we say in the trade.
0: You know, we were talking about the difference between those who are good at peacetime leadership and crisis leadership, and you you mentioned flexibility being the key to leading through this type of season, any type of crisis. And there are those who are struggling in their leadership right now. They like to have a long runway (laughs) towards a decision. They like to have everything thought through and they're now having to make decisions quickly. Just as you said, hey, we, we may have said we were reopening and now we're not. We we may have said this and now we're changing it to that. How would you advise those leaders who are who are struggling right now, making decisions quickly, to improve in their flexibility and decision making and make decisions quicker?
1: Well, it's the the one thing to realize as you talk about, you know, this I mean, I know you love doing these things. That's why you guys sell so many of the world's books on uh, on um, on lifestyles and choices and all leadership and everything else. But there isn't this distinction between the, the good leader in a crisis and the good leader in the in the non-crisis for the simple reason, we haven't been here before. I mean, the, we have not been in this place before. It, it is, really is as simple as that. Um, you know, there's a view that, you know, we've just got a, f- a new functional way of connecting with people because it's called digital. And, you know, the good digital churches will survive and the others won't. Actually, the fact of the matter is a profound cultural change is taking place, of which digital is one thing, but we don't know what behaviour patterns are going to look like. So if, you're, if, you're a, if you say, I'm not very good in a crisis kind of leader, don't beat yourself up because the guy who says I'm great in a crisis might have been great in in crisis two years ago, but ain't in this one. Mm. Uh, So I think the first thing is don't beat yourself up. The second is to recognize that you can't necessarily, and this is perhaps the greatest issue. One of the causes of the worldwide problem is that globally, we collectively lost control. Um, A virus appeared, and came across the whole world, and every one of us, governments, politicians, churches, individuals, are just lost control. We cannot control this. And so therefore recognize the fact that actually you cannot control your church, your elders, your finance grouping, whatever, and stop for that moment and say, I recognize it, name it, and then draw the people around you who can fit with you and make the collective decisions that are going to be so critical in the next phase of leadership, partly because a younger group is coming into place that will insist and demand that this happens. So you may as well practice it now.
0: You're talking about control. I think there was this false idea of control, like, oh, well, we are building the church. And I just go back to what Jesus said to Peter, he's like, I will build my church. It's not us, it's, it's Christ building his own church and he's done it through, through craziness before. I mean, this is not the first time. God knew that COVID was coming and he's gonna continue to build his church. And it, it is a reminder that he is just using us, he doesn't need us and he's gonna continue to build it. So that's, I know that's refreshing for me to hear. I hope it is for others as well.
1: Yeah, he chooses to use us. Um, and you know, that's the tension that it is his church, but i have got to plan it. Someone's going to give the money for it. Someone's going to go to it. Someone's going to run the worship in it. Um, someone's going to determine the style of it, the theology of it. Um, these are practical day-to-day decisions, but above all, he is stripping us back from believing that we are in control of the world. And at that moment, when that penny drops, the church will awaken. And the world around will see that there is something different here. There's a humility, a love, and a hope that people have. And that's, that's all we've got.
2: So good. It does, it does hinge on control, doesn't it? All
1: the absence of, or who is in control. I mean, I sound like Calvin straight out of Geneva. But there is a, I mean, there is, there is a sovereignty in God's ways.
2: So good. Well, thank you so much uh, for being on with us again, Ken. We'll definitely link back to the first conversation in the show notes so that uh, listeners can find that. And then, again, um, if you've enjoyed Ken's perspective, uh, he has written several uh, books about mostly about just living out your ordinary life in an extraordinary way. This is good for pastors because if you're trying to re-engage some people in your church uh, at this time, we know that we are going to need more leaders and more volunteers uh, than ever before as we do begin to come out of this. And we know that there's probably not going to be a new normal. Um, But one of the things that we do know is that we are we have one job as pastors and that is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry whether that's inside the church or outside the church and um i just really appreciate ken and his perspective um god at work uh know your why and uh the latest book uh, joseph of arimathea would be uh, great reads for you or a group that is meeting in your church so thanks so much for listening to us And uh, please hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review.
1: Well, thank you, Todd. Thank you, Chandler. Thank you for all of you who have been listening uh, with good wishes and every blessing from London. And meet again, um, who knows when? but it would be very nice to do so.
0: See ya.